independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Hey, I just wanted to first say, if you're somewhere where you have to practice social distancing due to the coronavirus pandemic, and if your life, if your routines have been put on hold, you're not alone. I'm on lockdown myself, so I'm thinking of you and your loved ones. I really hope you're taking good care of yourselves and that it's not bringing about too much added stress to your life. If anything, we now have over 220 episodes here on Green Dreamer, a lot of which are really worth re-listening to if you're a champ and have listened to every single one. So yeah, my only hopes are that the show can be here as a part of what can support you to get through this difficult time and this time of uncertainty. And again, I'll just mention quickly, if you're finding our independent podcast valuable and are in a position to be able to chip in just $2 per month to support this work to continue, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. The best case scenario that I knew for human beings was to do less harm, was to be less harmful, but our impact was always going to be somewhat harmful. And we just, we try to minimize our harm to the planet as far as how we interact with it. But this was the first time that I saw a new new relationship emerge where we could actually be regenerators, that we could actually be probiotics. We could be beneficial bacteria on the planet versus a virus on the planet. That gave me so much hope. That was Ryland Engelhart, the co-owner of Café Gratitude and Gracias Madre, and the co-founder of Kiss the Ground, which is a nonprofit that educates and advocates about the connection between soil, human, and planetary health. I personally have taken and am enrolled in the nonprofit's soil advocacy training and their regenerative gardening course, which I highly recommend if you're interested in learning more about those things. I'll have the links included in the show notes at greendreamer.com if you'd like to learn more, and you can also head directly to their website at kisstheground.com. For now, though, you can stay tuned as we're about to explore what it means to not just lessen our environmental impact, but to become healers and regenerators of life and biodiversity which can help to reverse climate change, how Ryland embodies a deep spiritual sense of gratitude and love through his restaurant businesses, as well as his nonprofit focused on regenerating healthy soils and supporting the carbon cycle to heal and the circularity of life and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. I went to New Zealand to teach a workshop on sacred commerce, which was the business philosophy of Cafe Gratitude. And I ended up 
sitting in the audience of a panel discussion called Can Human Beings Sustain Themselves on Planet Earth? Basically, five out of six said no, uh, the experts. And the sixth said what they're saying is true. It is very dire, but there's a blind spot in the conversation around climate change. And that blind spot is really the understanding of how the ecology of the mother earth of of the earth works itself and the ecology of how photosynthesis working with soil and soil microorganisms that if we could just see the organism or the skin of the earth as an organism and work with that organism of mother earth to balance the climate we could do it relatively easily and quickly if we just understood our role in stewarding the skin of the earth and working with the ecology that we manage with our farming and our agriculture on the majority of the face of the planet, if we could understand the functionality of that bigger ecological cycle, we could actually draw enough carbon down, heal and reverse the damage that we've done and balance the climate and feed the world doing it. And I just in that moment had a, an explosion kind of in my heart, in my mind of like a, a spiritual epiphany where I saw this possibility being the most true, real, hopeful, intuitive possibility for, for how we could move forward. And really up until that point, the best case scenario that I knew for human beings was to do less harm, was to be less harmful, but our impact was always going to be somewhat harmful. And we just, we, we try to minimize our harm mm. to the planet as far as how we interact with it. But this was the first time that I saw a new, a new relationship emerge where we could actually be regenerators, that we could actually be probiotics. We could be beneficial bacteria on the planet versus a virus on the planet. That gave me so much hope and fulfillment and joy. And I just said, wow, this is this is what my life is for. This is what my life, I've been wanting my whole life to share a message of, a purposeful message of love and of healing and of possibility, a way forward. And, you know, I always know, knew I wanted my life to be about being an expression of love and love in action. I just didn't know what the, the actual activity or the, the pathway forward of that activity would, would, would be articulated as. And when I saw this possibility of regeneration and the ability for regenerative agriculture to be a solution for global warming, as well as for being able to produce financial abundance, prosperity for farmers, and that we could, you know, just all the, all the upstream downstream benefits of regenerating our soil and understanding the ecological relationship of regeneration, human beings and plants and animals and soils and microorganisms and that we could be the what has been called the keystone species of creating a trophic cascade upon the ecosystem that has all kinds of benefits. When I saw that, it was just the most compelling, inspiring thing that I could do with my life. And so, so that's where I became a true devotee and a true in-action activist around creating this as the new meta-narrative for our relationship with Mother Earth. Mm. And again, it's not a new story. Many, many indigenous cultures, many pioneering, innovative, holistic thinking farmers, scientists, people have known this for millennia, just not in the current primary pop culture 
normal mainstream narrative, uh, this was not on the table as a way forward. So you had already been promoting organic and plant-based eating through your businesses. And it sounds like this was a turning point for you where it opened up your views to seeing how our food choices can not just do less harm, but actually do good to our earth. And that our food choices cannot just contribute less to global warming, but that it can actually help to reverse it. And to someone hearing about this for the first time, it can sound almost too good to be true. So can you walk us through how you shifted your perspective from this this idea that we just have to reduce our emissions and that climate change is the result of the simple fact that animals and humans and human activity emits carbon dioxide into seeing that it's more so about an imbalance? Yeah, so you, you've seen the soil story, correct? Yes, and I highly recommend our listeners check that out on your website, so I will link to that in the show notes. Beautiful. So yeah, so the soil story articulates it quite well, but essentially, yes, that was a that was a big revelation that our food choices, our clothing choices, that the way we grow our food, fuel, and the way we create fashion and the way we create building materials are oftentimes all coming from the utilization of ecological material, whether it's trees, plants, animals, that are all feeding and a part of the ecological system. When I saw the possibility for the first time of how we could design an agricultural system where every year there became more fertility in the soil, more carbon in the soil, and still there was essentially cream on the top. There was there was food being produced on top of that agricultural system where the earth got healthier over time, what that healthy land provided was more healthy plants, more healthy animals, and ultimately more healthy humans, and that that continuum was the possibility of regeneration. And so it really is simply understanding how we can harness the power of the sun, which most people understand is standing, harnessing the power of the sun through solar energy. But really, you could see it the same way. Every leaf, every plant, every tree is a solar energy collector. And it collects that solar energy. And as it collects that solar energy, it transforms carbon dioxide it inhales it in on the bottom of every leaf or grass. It sips in carbon as a gas, carbon dioxide, and it binds that with hydrogen, water, and it makes a carbon-hydrogen, a carbon and hydrogen, which are carbohydrate. And it basically builds, every plant or tree builds its body with those carbohydrates. Every, every living thing is made out of carbon. So carbon is not our enemy. It's actually the building block of life. And so when we see that distinction, we make that distinction, we start to see that paradigm shift, we start to see all plants and trees and grasses as our allies in sequestering or drawing that carbon down, because every time a plant, tree, grass is sipping that carbon out of the atmosphere, it turns 30 to 60, maybe 70% of those carbon and hydrogens, that, that carbon dioxide mixed with water and turning into the carbon sugars, and it feeds those carbon sugars into the soil 
through the root system of the plant. And as it feeds those sugars into the root system of the plant, it exudes them out as exudates into the, into the soil system. And the, there's this exchange that happens. Just like in, the, in, in our gut microbiome, there's a microbiome in the soil. And when the plants exude those sugars, those carbohydrates out of their roots into the soil, it feeds those microorganisms in the soil. And those microorganisms eat that carbon sugar and it becomes stabilized carbon as their bodies and what they excrete out of their bodies. And that becomes humus and that becomes stable carbon that can live in the soil for hundreds, even thousands of years, uh, depending at the depth of which that carbon is stored in the soil. And then it just becomes about how do we manage land to where that carbon is always being siphoned out of the atmosphere into the soil and then we're not disrupting that soil to then release that carbon back into the atmosphere because that's essentially most of our agriculture at this time is heavily reliant on tilling the soil. We, we till up the ground and that's kind of what we relate to as agriculture. We drive up the five freeway between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Again, that's my, my paradigm because this is where I live, but we drive across the middle of the country. We oftentimes see one crop and either it's growing during its season and then during its off season, the ground has been tilled and it's just completely barren, nothing covering that ground. And essentially in nature, there's never bare soil because nature knows that bare soil creates a death of the soil. The death, the soil becomes desertified, dried out, becomes sand, silt and clay. And that's what we are doing with our agricultural system. I think every year we're losing the size of England as land that was once productive under agricultural management becoming a complete desert that no matter how much chemicals, how much fertilizer you put on it, it's completely destroyed. So we've lost one third of the topsoil globally in the last 40 years. Mm. And the United Nations has given a, a number that within 60 years, we will have no more agricultural soils in that we will just have completely desertified all the land that's under cultivation that is feeding the majority of the world will no longer be able to produce food. So it's, it's a very dire situation, but the story and narrative of regeneration and the ability to build that soil carbon back and to heal those soils and bring fertility back to that land that's been broken is a very, very hopeful, opportune and possible, you know, we can do this message. And that's what's so exciting to be a carrier of that good news is that it really is possible and it really gives humanity a horizon to step into and start becoming the beautiful, ingenious human beings that we are, but using our ingenuity to work with the beautiful systems and ecological technology of nature that's been developed over 500 million years and just working in concert with that beautiful ecological system versus working against it, which is what most of our current land management practices do. Mm. I feel like because of the dominant stories around how our conventional agriculture has been so destructive, there's become this sense of guilt around taking anything from nature at all. But I'm wondering, would it be accurate to say that it's not necessarily the act of taking from nature that is bad, but it's actually the lack of giving back and the lack of re-nourishing the land 
that that we need to do more of because essentially if nature were allowed to thrive and if we supported nature to thrive and worked with nature, there actually can be a lot of abundance out there. So it's really about closing the loop, closing the circularity and coming back into relation with nature as opposed to just not touching and not taking anything at all. Yes. There's a beautiful book called Braiding Sweetgrass, which is an amazing author, a woman named Robin Kiminger. And I, excuse me if my, if my pronunciation of the last name is not accurate, but braiding sweetgrass. And she talks about the honorable harvest. And she talks a lot about reciprocity. And she's a, a professor level scientist and, you know, studier of e ecological systems, as well as a carrier of indigenous wisdom, as you know, she is a First Nations uh, woman. And she really shares these beautiful stories about sweetgrass as this grass, which indigenous people used to harvest as a, a ceremonial herb to burn and to bring incense and smoke into sacred spaces. And in areas where people are no longer tending to the sweetgrass and honoring it and coming and harvesting it, it actually starts to fade and starts to ecologically lessen its abundance but it's actually was it's in the relationship of people tending to it harvesting some leaving some that actually creates a greater proliferation more abundance and more stimulation because of the interaction with the human harvesting of that resource or of that herb or that plant so that also can be seen in the way that the bison would graze across the middle of this country. They would graze an area and they would eat a lot of the forage, a lot of the grass. They would chop down it and they would poop and pee and then they'd leave for a year until they'd come back. And actually because of that interaction and that relationship of eating some pooping and peeing, trampling down that grass matter, that carbon, putting it back into the soil so that the microorganisms can start to erode and bring that carbon back into the soil system. Even though it, it is a consumptive relationship with nature, it also is a, a reciprocity relationship in that there is an aspect or there's components that have been harvested from that natural system, but the overall year after year impact is that there's a growth in abundance and more fertility versus less. So yes, the big missing in our relationship with nature and the way we manage resources is that we just, you know, we just have an extractive relationship where we don't see the importance of reciprocity, which it really is just absurd because how do we call human beings consumers? We're, are, we've been branded consumers and we're just going to consume more and more and more and we're going to get more, a bigger population, more bigger population and not really with a sense of are we taking care of the basis of the ecological life that supports all of our life. And for the most part, we're not with the exception of like, oh yeah, we cut down millions of acres of trees. Maybe we should plant more trees that we can cut down and turn into paper. It's very short-sighted 
and doesn't really understand or doesn't ref and I'm speaking in generalities, but for in a, in a big part doesn't really understand the complexity and the biodiversity and the importance of all the different layered species in an ecosystem that create the overall resilient health. And we've turned our agricultural system into such a monoculture, which ultimately doesn't exist in nature. There's not thousands of acres of one thing, only one thing growing because that becomes a weak system where there's biodiversity, there is resilience and there's strength, where there's a monoculture, one disease, one shift in climate, you know, one change in the ecology, it can take the whole ecosystem out. And so, and, you know, I think there's been 20, maybe 25 known documented civilizations that have mismanaged the ecological commons that the civilization relied upon. And because they mismanaged the commons, the soil, the water, the trees, they ultimately turned the land into desert, which ultimately led to the destruction and the end of the civilization. And we're doing that at a global scale at this time. So you had your awakening. We're certainly really learning the importance of soil health today. So hopefully we'll be able to prevent our own demise and prevent ourselves from just repeating history again. Most people start off today being naive about what happens in the majority of animal agriculture. And for many people, upon learning about the cruelties that exist, decide to opt out completely or to at least embark on their paths towards being plant-based. You have a different story than most people. So with your parents being so aware of all of these social and environmental movements, you actually were raised in a very ecologically conscious manner. And I believe you were plant-based for 40 years. And then you got into regenerative agriculture with all the learning lessons that you shared and started eating meat in 2016. I know everyone's in their own unique paths of learnings and personal transformations, but what is your personal story there in terms of how you made that shift? Great question. Thank you. To start, I'm mostly vegetarian to this day. I was a, a, a more strict vegetarian and even vegan for many years. And I, again, I, what, what, I, what I oftentimes say is that I, I feel like the big, the big billboard is that we should eat less meat. And then there's a smaller billboard below that first billboard, which says, if we really want to understand ecological systems and regenerative agriculture, we have to understand how animals play a role in healing and regenerating our planet because they are essential. Again, we, we grew up in a vegetarian, vegan household on macrobiotic kind of guided cuisine. You know, we started Cafe Gratitude as a plant-based vegan restaurant. That was from an urban perspective, living in a city, wanting to participate in how we can be the most conscious consumers or eaters and it, from that urban perspective of never growing food, never really participating in agriculture at kind of a production scale, veganism or vegetarianism felt like the, the, the way to go. Looking at CAFOs, con concentrated animal feedlot operations, 
the amount of antibiotics going into that system that we're feeding cows food that's not even meant for their rumen for their for their bellies they're grass eating animals and we're feeding them very mature chemical filled grains which ultimately leaves them very unhealthy which then we need to pump them up on antibiotics so to not want to participate in that system is admirable and i appreciate people that say all right i'm just going to not participate in you know what 95% of the meat and dairy production is is pretty atrociously destructive on most levels and from my perspective and so to opt out of that i totally honor that and that's really the path that we were on within cafe gratitude or in the early days and i still think as an urban dweller who when you're eating out and you don't know how your food is being grown or who's producing it how it's being produced it's a safer bet to go with you know organic plant-based foods as having a a, a minimal uh, less impactful food a food impact as we choose our 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 choices that being said when we started to become organic farmers on Belove Farm many years ago and we started to interview biodynamic farmers which biodynamics is kind of the original term or certification for a regenerative leaning agriculture that really understood the farm as one living system that's all connected and you know as Rudolf Steiner said the father of biodynamics said you know without nature if we want to mimic agriculture to mimic nature and to be a natural system it has to have animals because animals are part of all of nature uh there's an integral relationship that animals have w- within nature in cycling nutrients and specifically in building soil so as we started to get down the rabbit hole of understanding ecological biodynamic agriculture we started to see this interplay and interconnection between all right to get these crops to grow we need nitrogen and to get nitrogen most organic farmers are using cow manure and they're needing more cow manure than they maybe have cows on their farm and so they're getting cow manure from dairies or feedlots and ultimately they're using the manure from animals that are part of a food system that ultimately to grow those vegetables we needed we had reliance on on those animals and then you know beyond that fish emulsion is a big ingredient that's oftentimes used in agriculture as well as bone meal blood meal other animal byproducts that are needed to create a healthy balanced soil system so the idea that we can just kind of isolate all right we want to do agriculture but we don't want animals to be in the system then you know the architecture of nature has always been the inclusion and the participation of predator prey relationship of animals being uh rotated around ecological regions and in that in that cycling or in that movement created a resilient land healthy soil underneath that system And so if we're going to build an agriculture that can last for a long period of time and have long-term resilience and have a regenerative effect on the land, it needs to mimic that natural system. Well then some could say, well, but all right, we like using we're fine with using the animals, but then uh we don't want to kill them because we, you know, we don't want to create harm 
And again, fair, admirable, honorable. But again, what you're going to run into, what you'll find is that every system has a give and take. Everything has inputs and outputs and there's resources needed to create all systems, whether it's energy, sunlight, soil, nutrients, money. There's always going to be a give and take. And in every natural system, again, take humans out of the picture. There's always been a predator-prey relationship in that kept the herbivores moving and kept the herbivores healthy and that the slower herbivores or the sick herbivores would be cycled into food for other animals and, and ultimately keep the system going. So coming back to our little 21-acre farm in Vacaville, California, we were starting to see, well, how can we get these crops to continue, continuously grow, grow vegetables for, for our vegan restaurants in San Francisco? And ultimately what made the most sense is to have cows on the farm. And to have cows on the farm, there's a lot of effort that goes into having cows on the farm, expense to having cows on the farm. And again, the farm really is about how do we get this farm to produce uh, enough food such that we can live off the food as well as sell the food to sustain the economic uh, sustainability of the farm. And so having the cows in the equation, while they were very helpful and necessary, they also needed to bring something to the table. So, you know, we started making cheese and raw dairy products from the, from the cows, uh, and that became a product that we could sell and eat as, as, as nutrients that we could pull off the farm. And again, one of what came up was, you know, you, when you're having animals that are producing dairy, it's, you know, they're producing dairy, which is milk. And ultimately they go into a cycle of producing milk when they've had a baby calf. So they can milk for a couple years after they've had a calf, but ultimately after, if they're not, if they haven't given birth, then they weren't, are not going to produce milk. So then you have additional cows on the land, which one might be a male, which is ultimately never going to produce the milk for the production of dairy on the farm. So then that, that male becomes full grown and you only have so much space and so much forage on the land. And then what do you do? All right, well, you could give that cow away, but ultimately that cow has to be paid for to kept up and people are paying for food and people are, who live on the farm are people who are eating meat and they're going to Safeway to buy meat. So that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't we actually just manage the whole thing as conscious as possible and go through the process of having that cow that lived under our care and had a really great life be part of that system and turn into food for people on that system who are living in stewardship and appreciation and reverence of this living cycle that they are reliant on. Because if we don't eat food, we, we die. And everything that we eat is a living thing. And that living thing will die to sustain and become the life of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so it just becomes, you know, a philosophical debate whether all life is important or more life. Again, I'm, I'm not saying it's an easy question to be answered for people, but that's just kind of the story and process that led to us having cows and ultimately sacrificing or, or slaughtering a couple cows on our farm for food for uh, the sustenance of the people who live on that farm. I know you received 
pushback and your family even received some death threats when people learned that you're no longer strictly vegetarian. And I personally truly believe that we have a lot more in common than it's made out to be and that fundamentally we share the same desire to minimize harm and to maximize the good that we can do. We just sort of arrive at different conclusions based on our backgrounds, our learnings, our worldviews and cultures. For you as someone who's so rooted in gratitude, love, and compassion, and as someone who understands firsthand the core value of compassion that the plant-based movements were built on, for you to have stepped away from that, you sort of had to divorce your personal value of compassion from that ideology, which embodies that same value. So how did you reconcile that? And how do you deal with this polarizing culture around the topic while staying grounded in your learnings of how soil can bring us all together and connect the dots? Soil is our common ground. We have a shirt that says that, and it's a purple shirt because it's the combination of red and blue. (laughs) And soil is our commons. And as far as the question compassion, I, I think that I have a, a huge capacity for compassion. There's a, a beautiful quote that a guy by the name of Wendell Berry wrote, which is, he said, every day we break the body and spill the blood of creation. If we do it knowingly, reverently, and carefully, it is a sacrament. If we do it with greed, gluttony, and carelessness, it is a desecration. So it, you know, really goes back to many, many traditions of indigenous wisdom of understanding that we are one with all life and that through our oneness experience, there is a cycling of life that all things that grow have a life cycle and die. And when they die, they become the parts and parcels of new life to be recomposed. And if we can do that with care and consciousness and love, then I think that is the greatest expression of compassion, knowing that we, we must participate in death. There is no getting around our participation in death. And the question becomes, what is the relationship with nature and with ecology such that that nature and that ecology can continue to give and produce and expand upon the life-giving the life-giving effect of our management or of our stewardship of the land of animals of plants of trees and can we live in an understanding that we are all intertied and that there is no escaping that we must consume and live off the substance of other things that will die to sustain us. And if we can be in deep gratitude and compassion and understanding for that is the tie that we are all connected to, then that to me is an expression of compassion and understanding that we are all participating in this process together and can we do it in the most mindful way. And someone who, who, who emanates the greatest expression of compassion, the Dalai Lama, who you know, I know had been a vegetarian for the majority of his life and then became, you know, got recommended from his doctor that he needed to eat some animal protein. And you know, he said, considering all things, 
I'm going to continue to walk my path of compassion and love and leadership. And if I need to sustain this nutrient to prolong my ability to do that, I'm going to make that sacrifice and make that choice with, with the understanding of the, the net benefit that I can, that I can provide. And I get that that's, uh, some could say, well, that's a very slippery slope. And if there's not hard edges, then things become gray. And, you know, the reality is there is no hard edges to this. People have been discovering and debating this since the time of Jesus walking the earth. And, you know, what is the right thing to do and how to be the most conscious participants on the earth? And, you know, what does our stewardship look like? So I'm not saying I I have any superlative truth. I'm just saying this is what I know to be true for me now. And I hope that I am continuously a forever student learning and understanding what could be the most conscious way to walk on this planet. And we can certainly all learn from that sense of humility that there's always more to learn and continue down this path of wanting to minimize the harm that we do and maximize the good that we can do together during our time here on this earth. I'm actually an alumni of your nonprofit Kiss the Grounds Soil Advocacy Training Program, which really helped me to reorient the way that I look at sustainability today. And so I highly recommend this to our listener or anyone interested in learning about regeneration and soil health. So the link to the course will be in our show notes as well. But to close off here, I'd love for you to leave us with some primary insights as to why even for people living in urban environments, we should care about the soil, as well as some final tips on what we can do to support regeneration. For that too, if you can also put in the show notes, I just launched a 21-day Live It Up challenge. And it's on a platform called Live It Up, which is wisdom life teachers teaching different areas of expertise. And you get a text message, like a three-minute video, and then it gives you a learning or exercise or activity for the day. Very short, sweet, and simple. And in 21 days, you can come become really informed and educated on the way and the path of regeneration, how you can participate and support that. So that's also a great resource for people to, to learn about how, as uh, urban people, supporting the regeneration of our soil. And then back to the question. So Kiss the Ground is the nonprofit that I co-founded and really we're an education advocacy nonprofit, really educating people on the pathway forward about of regeneration and how we as human beings can participate and support the regeneration of our soils and ultimately our planet. And so uh, there's a ton of resources on our website. There's a book called Kiss the Ground, which I highly recommend. Uh, there's another book called The Soil Can Save Us. Uh, which is also really, really extraordinary and informative. And then there's also a purchasing guide. So everyone purchases food, you know, every day to sustain their life. And we built a really succinct and great guide to start purchasing food in a way that can support the development and the building of the regenerative food movement. And so download that, that purchasing guide and get yourself studied up on it. And then, you know, there's a regenerative organic certification that's just coming out onto the market, which was pioneered by Dr. Bronner's and Patagonia, two of our favorite brands in the sustainability uh, regeneration space. And there's about 80 companies that are going to start launching products that are going to be produced uh, and 
labeled as regenerative organic. So beyond just no pesticides, herbicides, synthetic fertilizers with the organic certification, there's a whole suite of soil health practices that are being implemented. And then there's an animal welfare component in that uh, certification as well. So it's like a triple bottom line certification. And so look out for that. You can check out that online and the companies that are working to put their first products to market. Buy, I guess I know that it's uh, sometimes can be very price prohibitive, but obviously buying organic food is better than conventional. Buying uh, local food from your farmer's markets and asking your farmers when you go to the farmer's markets, how do you take care of your soil? Uh, how do you take care of your soil health? And learning about what farmers do to rebuild their soil, uh, help regenerate their soil. So asking those questions. And then biodynamic food, anytime you can buy food that's certified biodynamic, uh, that really is a certification that does identify an agriculture that is uh, regeneratively leaning and, 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 and practicing. And then we have a film, a feature-length film coming out called Kiss the Ground that Woody Harrelson narrates that's quite beautiful. And we're hoping it's going to be coming out on Earth Day this year, April 22nd. So uh, that would be really, really exciting. But there'll be, you know, if you follow us on Kiss the Ground uh, on our Instagram or social medias, we'll be obviously seeding that messaging. And then, yeah, uh, as Kamea said, the soil advocacy training is really, really extraordinary. And in six weeks, you get to really come out the other end highly educated on the practices, principles, philosophy, application, data of regeneration and how there really is a hopeful way forward and we can be a catalyst for that regeneration by being a messenger and a spokesperson an advocate and a voice whether we're in schools whether you know we're working within a, a governmental arena whether we're working with brands whether we're just purchasing things if we have this knowledge knowledge we've heard this knowledge is power and we become a voice for a new story which ultimately to me is the most hopeful and promising story that we have as a way forward in this most troubling time where people say that we're heading into the sixth mass extinction. This is a way that we can actually redeem and reverse the damage that we've done. But wait until it rains She can turn very bitter flame Spitting words in the atmosphere They breathe in monochrome White-collared criminals Will reap just what they sow And now the fields are barren Where do we go? Where do we go? From here What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? There's a book that I'm halfway through called The Call of the Reed Warbler. It's an Australian author about his journey with regenerative agriculture. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that would be the book, Call of the Reed Warbler. 
and a social media account. I can't think of anything besides Kiss the Ground. (laughs) No worries. And it's an amazing account to follow. So I will definitely second that. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? In the heart of every man, woman, and child, there is love. And that that is the core essence and the core being of every person on the planet and everything on the planet. And that in the end, love will prevail that light does overcome darkness, and that there's lots of uh, valleys and peaks in life, but ultimately where we get to in the end is a more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. Mm. And that's the author of a Charles Eisenstein book. Actually, now I'm going back to that question. (laughs) Charles Eisenstein, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible. Follow him on social as well as read his books. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? One thing I'm working on is chewing my food between 25 and 50 times. Mm. When I chew my food, it has me be present with the life that has gone and is becoming the life that I'm getting to assimilate. It has me get present to really breaking the food down so that I can actually extract and get the nutrients from the food. And it allows for my digestion to heal and become better because I've really masticated the food. And so my microbiome can really break it down and get the nutrients. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? Well, I've just stepped in as the new executive director for Kiss the Ground, the nonprofit, the nonprofit that I co-founded. And so I'm developing and working on building a online platform like a Mind Valley or a master class digital platform for farmer education so that we can scale and get the education of regenerative agriculture and how to rebuild soil to many more people all around the country and the world. And finally, what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? That we've never had a collective challenge to bring us all to our knees. We all have seen how tragedy and when we've been brought to our knees by a health crisis or a death that we rise to the occasion and it may just have taken a global catastrophe called climate change for us to collectively wake up and work together to heal and regenerate the planet. Great. Ryland, thank you so much for sharing your story and inspirations and expertise with us here. Any closing words of wisdom you'd like to share? Love is an indwelling presence and we always have access to that love and it's always our responsibility and opportunity to be that love. That love is not found in people, places, and things. It's found within our heart and there's an ever-flowing spring from our heart and so we can always be love in the world. Been mining for gold But all I see is still so cleverly concealed Cause all of that glitters isn't always gold Where's the credit in what they sold? Glide in the silver line in rivers far away It streams in the youth 
as they line up by the gates And now the fields are barren Where do we go? Where do we go? From here Could it be part of the deal? Mm -hmm. 